You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. Patrick, is Grogu on vacation? No, I just figured since our guest has has feline friends uh, that, oh, that yeah. may not know that there is a Funko Pop of Spock holding a cat called Isis. Yeah, yeah. So, there we go. Perfectly. Isis, per- looks, Isis looks very so intense. Like my my yeah. old shadow that I yeah. had to get this Funko Pop when I found out that he that he existed. No, uh, Grogu is still here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There he is. Okay. It's fine. Cool. He's <laughs> thoroughly adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so the voice that you're hearing there is Emma Mieko Kandon, uh, who we are just delighted to have on uh, because starting very soon, like I think within days of when this episode is going to drop, June 2023, the Archive Undying is coming out. So welcome, Emma. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, we've been chatting a little bit thus far, and you are both delightful. Uh, I really appreciate you both. <laughs> Thank you. Looking We're at like a minute and a half in the episode. We're already delightful. <laughs> All right, close it up. We're good. Yeah, we bag it and tag it. <laughs> the, the sad thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the the sad thing is that right now there's people like Todd and Robert and Canoli Joe who are going. Oh wait, you don't know them yet. Mm, yeah yeah we do have some longtime listeners who could potentially disabuse you of the notion but i don't know some of them are also patrons and give us money so i think they doth protest too much i i see pets and i have to talk about the pets that's the thing like i'm 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 i i swear like uh there's a there's a another podcast called beyond the trope and uh i'm i'm friends with them i hang out with them but mostly just so i could see edmund the cat you know, it's like I go over and there's Edmund and Edmund knows me and I know Edmund and he misses me. Oh, yeah. so it's, just, it's a cat thing. It's, a, it's an animal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not a recording weekend if we don't, you know, check in with Ronan, you know, as things are getting started and so <laughs> yeah. on. We have rules. I mean, we're, we're a civilized group. We understand. He's being really good today. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. He took his, he, I gave him a chew to, to occupy him and he took it outside and left it outside and then came back in and I was like, dude, what the fuck? Oh, like that was supposed no. to keep you and he's then exercising self-control. Yeah. He's yeah. just laying in his bed. It's like, ah. Try but if he saw new. your cats, he would lose his mind. I will yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. brother has uh, one of those dogs that's like of a breed where they all look identical. Um, and they're, uh, cause you know, they're, they're very specifically bred. They're hunting yeah. dogs. Sure. So he, yeah. Pax is mm-hmm. the sweetest animal I know, but he lives downstairs because if he sees the cats, all the instincts yes. come in. Right. He had yeah. a line of his body. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. These are separate. Ronan, Ronan, <laughs> is, Ronan is a border collie. Uh-huh. And so his, his instinct is to hunt and to, and to also herd. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, there's a school nearby that I, I, I walked, by and then there's a park next to school and so we walk on this path and, and on one side is the park and the other side is this elementary school and on the park side it's filled with groundhogs like little prairie dog kind of things and they all pop up and they go eep, 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 and they make these little noises as he's walking through and he's just like <gasps> <laughs> you he's brought me vibrating. to the best place dad <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well, it's a good thing for the groundhogs that he's pretty chill today and also yeah. indoors with you. So. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. So <laughs> so in thinking about like I'm a, this is not a graceful pivot. So just like prepare for the whiplash listeners in thinking about pivot. the archive and dying. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, pivot. Yeah, here it goes down the stairs. Um in thinking about the archive undying, I I've been thinking so much about this idea of a of a book whose premise lies in part, but no small part, in the idea of like AI that have risen to the level of functionally being deities. And I I don't know about what your perspective is like, because you do not have a book emerge in June of 2023, having only just started thinking about this a month or two ago. But it, it seems like the rest of the world has been 
catching up to very rapidly a level of both interest in and anxiety about AI that is finally starting to look more and more like what the speculative world has been thinking about for literally decades. Um, And I, I must imagine that from your perspective as a writer, it must feel a little bit surreal to have written the book that you have written and also in the reality around you to see the kind of conversations playing out surrounding different different tools and algorithms and and language models and all sorts of things. You know, it's funny because um, I've read before that uh, AI talk in the tech world that gets large enough to sort of break the seal of that and become part of the uh, discussions going on with like the common majority uh, tend to go on like 10, 15 year cycles. So mm-hmm. I think the last one must have annoyed me so much that this book was a product of that. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, so as it's happening this time, one, it feels kind of familiar. Um, and two, I have my developed opinions about it. So I'm often like searching for new information, but it's more like building on and expanding those um, beliefs and understandings that I developed at that time. Um, And so like uh, right before I started writing archive, I had, I was working on this two years master's thesis in clinical psychology and at the time, uh, machine learning and so forth was becoming more uh, talked about for whatever reason in New York City, maybe the internet at large, maybe just the people I was paying attention to. I think it was getting traction. Um, it certainly wasn't as widely discussed as it is right now. And um, when we say AI at this current moment, we are talking about these large language models built on algorithmic understandings and algorithmic production. And, you know, that's, that's uh, one very particular thing that has a lot of facets. There have been a lot of discussions like as we speak right now in the writing community about uh, the implications of AI Uh, It's embedded deeply in the writer's strike, you know, Um, which, (laughs) God, all power to them. Uh, Yeah, we talked about that. uh, uh, But what was annoying to me the last time I was like looking at this conversation was the way that people were talking about how we were just on the verge of achieving some kind of like complex general sentient AI. And I thought that sounds like bullshit because I was at the time studying psychology and studying brains and the elements of that where like currently in psychology, the popular model of uh, understanding of the brain is really grounded in physical neurology Uh, and understanding how brains work on that level and also understanding that we are not principally cognitive creatures. We are principally emotive creatures in the sense that cognition is emotion because the body is principal, because everything you feel and think is a consequence of your body's sensations. And that shapes everything about the way you learn, about the way you eventually have complex thoughts and so, and we also like barely understand fundamentally how all of it works. So the idea that someone was capable of creating actual intelligence was to me laughably absurd. <laughs> and it's like, we're just not there yet. We yeah. are, we can create things that ape it, but there's no, no such thing as actual, genuine, complex intelligence. And the other thing that was really annoying to me was that, when you get into like talking about the theories of psychology and technology, a lot of people start uh, making noises about the singularity, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. uh, also annoying to me because I also think that's absurd. <laughs> but, uh, unless you assume that it's happened the moment that we became 
Donna Haraway cyborgs with tool use. Like, right. uh, like, either we are already machines, which I do kind of believe we are in that sense, or we're just the singularity is. Uh, as a doomsday myth, it, it's annoying to me because it's really grounded in like these capitalist notions of at some point, someone will be in power and everybody else will suffer. Like, okay. We can't okay. have an uprising. No uprisings. Um, and that also is like, that's just not how humans work. Humans are deeply social creatures. It is the bedrock of our civilizations. The Mad Max post-apocalypse dystopia is complete fiction driven by these morbid fantasies on the part of those in power that people will behave just like them in, or like just how they do in the capitalist state if we ever experience some kind of disaster when in truth, as has been studied and noted and proved again and again and again in disaster, people predominantly tend toward caring, toward coming together and creating opportunities for other people to survive. All right, I want to put a pin in that because yeah. I think that's our in for for talking to people about what archive on dying is because it is it is a world that I think a reader who wanted to paint with a very broad brush could make the argument that there's that there's a, a kind of whiff of apocalypse to it. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that faced with that human beings rather than turning into you know, uh, you know, a bunch of war boys strapping to giant rigs and stuff and witnessing each other, that we will turn into something else and that we will rise to the occasion in another way. That seems like it's it's sort of the heart of where you're headed. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, like I've I've described this book as post post apocalypse, which is a term I got from uh, the Real Play podcast, Friends at the Table, where they have mm-hmm this high fantasy setting that they played a couple seasons in. And that is a world that they described as not post-apocalyptic, but post-post-apocalyptic because an apocalyptic event occurred, but people persisted. And now you are seeing civilizations being built like directly on what came of the prior event. Um, I've long been interested in eschatology, which is the study of apocalypse, uh, it became kind of core to archive in part because I was going to find myself arguing with the doomsday apocalypse myth of AIs because I was like, all right, this is really a question of power and anxieties about power. And let's do this with a a thing that I'm going to call AI, which is a, a created being that is sophisticated. And so is fundamentally emotive and driven by a desire for connection and there are going to be in this world consistent miniature apocalypse events on the level of like city states. Mm-hmm. And there are people living in it despite that because people live and they keep surviving. And it was only two or three drafts in when I went, oh, this is about that catastrophic illness you suffered, (laughs) (laughs) which was like an internal apocalypse of the self, right? Because it's not just that my body was so suddenly and profoundly broken for a period of half a year. Like I was in the hospital that entire time and a healthy chunk of it, I was in the ICU. So like I was like, my entire body got like just destroyed. But uh, besides that, uh, there's this profound ego humiliation that goes with being completely deconstructed on that level because you become so helpless. And if you are remotely independently minded, which I, as a child of divorce and a millennial, was very independently minded, it's excruciating to have to learn how... to rely on people to do literally anything, like get water, stand up, go to the bathroom. It's just, it's wild. Um, And a lot of how I think I coped with that in the end was developing this profound sense of regard for the people who cared for me um, Mm. when I was so just destroyed because that to me is a profound act. It's a sublime act. 
Uh, and it's, it's really deeply embedded in that idea of like what happens when people suffer so profoundly that they cannot do for themselves. Well, mm-hmm. time and time again, other humans step in. Uh, yeah. And they do it with love and regard and intent. Mm-hmm. See, I think it would be, I think it would be, I think it would be interesting to uh, wake up, uh, you know, find out where an ICU nurse lives, wake them up every two hours during the night and see how they like it. No. Oh. <laughs> I had a lot of like quiet rage in my body, but yeah. that was happening because like I couldn't sleep through the night for yeah. three, four months. Like mm-hmm. granted, a lot of it, I was deeply insensible because yeah. of my body and also all the drugs I was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do remember whining at them, like, why do you wake me up all the time? I'm just yeah. <laughs> I, I make a joke about it. I, I, I do understand the reasons why, like they're oh, not yeah. intentionally trying to wake you up, but it is pretty annoying. Yeah, it is um, pretty annoying. <laughs> Here's another funny thing. The year I started archive uh, was bookended by two major surgeries, one mm. of which was planned and the other of which wasn't uh, because mm. the first was my bilateral hip replacement as a consequence of all that illness I suffered in 2012. And uh, at the end, my gallbladder decided it was done. So, oh, no. uh, but in the latter one, um, my brain has acquired some essentially medical trauma because it's the way it remembers being in a hospital is the profound desire to get out and the inability yeah. to do so. So as yeah. I can be myself perfectly like happy and delighted to be here until the moment something in my brain goes, you're not going to be able to leave when you want to. And that could be because they have to do another test that was unexpected. And Mm -hmm. that I just, my personality falls away and only the trauma is there. So I become like a little human scream. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, a thing that really helps is having my wife around because Mm -hmm. I guess like my brain has decided like, this is safety, this is comfort. Yeah. And, um, yeah. When my gallbladder surprise had to get removed right before Christmas, she <laughs> hung out in the hospital room, like in a chair. And when the nurses tried to wake me up after my surgery, she would like chase them off. <laughs> like, what do you need? I'll do it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I feel you on that. <laughs> I, I have a I, lot of regard for nurses. I try to be as pleasant as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I stop being yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I, I make the joke, but I, I spend a lot of times uh, in, in hospitals and ER rooms and everything. It, it, the chair mm-hmm. that your wife sat in, I have also sat in that chair because it's mm-hmm. the same fucking chair in every fucking hospital in the world. <laughs> it's the same chair. It's yeah. it's There's no difference between it. It's the same most uncomfortable thing. And I hate that chair, but I like, I, it's probably I like orderable by a secret backdoor part uh, of Ikea's website or whatever. Yeah, it's like, it's like, like someone says, we're going to open up a hospital and then someone sends them a message and says, well, we have the chairs. We have the chairs <laughs> that are going to sit in those rooms. We have them. Like there's a whole stock mm-hmm. of them. They're, they're, it's like candy corn. Mm. Okay. They made a certain number of those chairs years ago and they just keep moving them from hospital to hospital. Oh, see that? I thought that was the fruitcake theory that there's like yeah, a limited no, no, no. number of fruitcakes in the world and people keep it's regifting candy, them. It's, it's also candy corn. There, there's mm. only, they made a batch of candy corn. No one has ever actually eaten it. And oh, it okay. Just keeps getting, it just this is really just the candy around. corn of fossil record, is what we're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. Okay. Yeah. I, I do have one friend who loves candy corn, which I think is insane, but uh, he They're must be the sole receptacle yeah. of all candy corn <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it's a, that's a burden. That yeah. is a, they are burdened with, I won't say glorious purpose, but they may be soon burdened with diabetes if this theory is true. No, I, I think he um, would accept glorious purpose. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to get all Sigmund Freud about how the medical experience of being, you know, figuratively and literally kind of trapped in the conditions of your body um, could exert itself in, in archive. But I can't help but think about, especially like we've got these um, giant robot mech things, right? Um, which I have to lean in closer to the, the microphone to say in that voice because it's super cool. But also 
kind of these huge devices of trauma because they're being piloted by human beings who have kind of lost agency over their bodies uh, as part of how the piloting works and service of um, the sort of larger government city states and and things of that. And so I have to imagine at a certain level that experience lends itself to how you characterize and reflect upon what these what these pilots go through and what it means to them to, on the one hand, have mobility through these devices, but at the same time, be sort of like entrapped within them. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, one of the reasons I'm talking about all this is because I discovered belatedly, oh, that's about archive, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Or rather, like, oh, archive is about this Neat. All right. Uh, Well, it's good that you're working through it, Emma. Um, But, uh, you know, I made a decision pretty early on that I was going to be pretty open about talking about my medical experiences. One, because I typically am in complete control of my own, like, mental facilities. And two, because I'm kind of a morbid person and I know I would be really curious. So I'm sharing for everybody like me who's just like, tell me about your gross medical bullshit. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like when I was writing Archive, I started about five years after I first got sick and um, I was in the middle of treatment for essentially the aftermath of it, one of which was a secondary condition that developed out of what had happened to my lungs and the other of which was that my hips needed to be replaced because the treatment that had saved my life had destroyed the marrow in my hips. So they were slowly crumbling under their own weight, like cathedrals with no struts. Um, Here's a fun little nerd thing. When I first saw an x-ray of one of them, uh, one of the femoral heads, which is the little ball on the top of your femur, I went, oh, it looks like the Death Star because there's like a little pit (laughs) in it, like what the laser comes out of. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, like I started writing archive about a month after that surgery because I just needed something new to do. I couldn't go back to the book I had been working on. And about a year later, I went, oh, this is a book about recovery, isn't it? About, like, catastrophic illness and about being in the body, Um, which is why when I tell some people that, they come back into my DMs when they're done screaming, this is about bodies. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Told you. So along the way... As, as I think tends to happen, there are these cats, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in the book. I mean, like, literally in the in the background of the video as we're talking to each other now <laughs> and, like, in your life. And I do think that there's probably some, like, research-based mappable line that we could discover between, like, traumatic things happening in people's lives and the acquisition of cats. Um, and I don't know if it's that, like, we've decided that, like, cats are the bolster pillows and band-aids of – but. It it does it does seem as if um, you've you've uh, built a circle around yourself. I guess well, so. You, uh, you know, the purring purring isn't just for the cats. The purring is also for the, the human. Yeah. Um, so, like, my wife and I very wisely and patiently adopted a cat two weeks after we started living together, <laughs> um, and that's the old man. That's dude. Uh, and he was the only cat we had for years and years and years. And it was actually like, we've only grown to four over the past, for like from one to two to four over the past, like I think four years. So, okay. so it's like an accelerating curve, for, really. Yeah, no, it is. There's too many. I did not want the fourth, but I love him very much. <laughs> uh and I've been telling her, you know, like when the old man dies, we are not getting a fourth again. <laughs> uh, I'm start reducing the clouder. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's lots of uh, therapeutic effects mm-hmm. that having a pet in your mm-hmm. life helps yeah. with. So we were talking before the recording that I, I used to have two cats and they, they both passed. And and I had Shadow almost 20 years. Like he, he'd been around for a really long time. And I wrote a book about him, Conversations with My Cat. 
And that was, that was a huge loss. Right. And then, uh, you know, it was, you were talking about trauma. So it was like, you know, my mom died, uh, my brother attempted suicide and then my cat died and Mm. it was like, bang, 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 bang. And so I took a year before I got Ronan, the dog. And, uh, I, I'm very open about the fact that I've been in therapy for, for years now, uh, talking about all this stuff and all this trauma. And, and the thing that always comes out when we talk about Ronan is the fact that he cracks me the fuck up. Like, like just the stuff that every day it's like, he'll just do something. And I find myself laughing uncontrollably because of, of whatever it is he's done. Like this morning, I, I, I give him this massive chew because I know we're going to be recording and he just loves these things. And he's just like bolts out the door with it and takes it outside, drops it and comes back in. <laughs> and I'm like, that defeats the entire purpose of like why I gave that to you. And I'm not going to go he's out there. saving it for later. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And, uh, but he's been laying here ever since. Like he just, he gets, he gets a look on his face or he does something weird and it just cracks me up. And that's, that's kind of like the therapy mm-hmm. of having these pets in our lives is they, they do stuff and they make part of the up. difference between cats and dogs. Right. I mean, obviously it's difficult to make any generalization here, but like in my experience, having had cats and dogs and cats and dogs together at the same time, dogs have no sense of self-consciousness in particular. Like there's no moment where I have ever seen a dog have that look on its face or any behavior about itself where you can tell that it has managed to project outside of itself and is looking down on itself and going, oh no, that was like, ooh, that was embarrassing. Or like, there's, it's not there, right? And so the dog is just 1000% what it is at all times. If it feels safe and loved, it's just going for it, right? And a cat, on the other hand, is almost always floating intellectually above its own shoulder, observing both itself and the larger situation and attempting to craft something out of that with the relatively rare expect- exceptions of of cats who are in fact very tiny dogs and cat suits um of which i've had you know experience with a few of them too but for the most part cats are i think very much aware of of, of their own capacity for artifice like they can constru- they're, they're their own social media managers dogs oh, on the other yeah. hand yeah <laughs> we have one intelligent cat it's a problem because he's a problem solver um <laughs> He's very, very clever. He is the oldest, thankfully. So, you know, we like to coo and cuddle him and say, our lives are going to be so much less difficult when you die. Um, <laughs> uh, we love him very much. He was That was our first book, baby. And I guess he put us through the gauntlet so we could be pleasantly shocked when the others were a little bit dumb. <laughs> uh, but the one who's sitting behind me right now is a little cone on his head and oh the look of betrayal he gave me yeah. when mm-hmm. I put him on it yesterday to prevent him from licking a scratch. Um but also uh <laughs> so it's a cloth cone, uh so it's a little more comfortable. And my well my wife felt so bad about it last night because this one in particular is her baby that she had like turned it um upside down so it was kind of like a little cape uh, oh yeah and like because she was you know just gonna see like maybe he'll be to look like to... a quadruped dalek you know yeah, kind of yeah. <laughs> like maybe you know it'll be more comfortable for him and if it still prevents him from licking his stomach then it's fine and he just sat there for <laughs> over a minute to the point where she dropped like, now come see this. Like he can't figure out how to move. Like, is he broken? I was like, yeah, you broke him. It's fine. This happens mm-hmm. periodically with this cat. He's just not very mm-hmm. intelligent. Um, yeah. And like I mentioned, that's on a neurological level. He did almost yeah. die when he was. Yeah. 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 He had a rough go of it. It is actually a very sweet story. Um, one of our good friends is a vet. And so she acquires animals sometimes just because customers bring them in and, a client's dog had found this kitten uh, just like huddled in a bush and picked up the kitten in its mouth and brought it to its owner and was like, hey, what do I do? Look, look who I found. <laughs> and, um, and that was Pigeon. So Pigeon was very sickly, very uh, malnourished, uh, 
already suffering some neurological damage of the sort where his like mobility was impacted. And, but she did manage to like resuscitate him and nurse him back to health over the course of a few days. And now he's just permanently a little bit brain damaged, but we love our baby boy. Sometimes incapable of understanding the world around him. (laughs) (laughs) He's just freshness and innocence. Okay, here's the thing. He doesn't have enough brain capacity to know about empathy. So when Um, he wants something, he's like a little battering ram. (laughs) He will just... And uh, that becomes especially problematic when what he he wants is either another cat's food or to play because he becomes a little it follows demon. He just pursues Mm. relentlessly without stop. Oh no! Oh, pigeon. <laughs> yeah, kind of yes. like pigeons, though. I mean, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, just try sitting down with a bag of popcorn someplace where there's pigeons. <laughs> See how that goes. It became yeah. a very prophetic name. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, uh, my um, my daughter has guinea pigs, um, uh-huh. and long guinea pig acquisition story, which we will not reiterate here, partly because many of the listeners have already heard it before. Uh, But they do sometimes also have those moments where they'll be doing something that's, you know, guinea pig normal, generally just eating whatever, right? And so they're just like eating a thing and then they'll stop and they sort of like look off into the middle distance with their mouths hanging slightly open and usually whatever they're chewing on like drops out and they're just... And they will stay that way, unblinking for... Five, ten minutes at a time, just like completely frozen, gazing off into the like like little tiny statues. We've decided that they're downloading updates, um, that there's just been like an inconvenient system restart and that they've just blue screened. Um, and it's like, nope, actually, no, we've, actually, we're pushing actually, down some virus uploads here. Yeah. yeah. Now, actually, that's when the entity that lives in your house is talking to them. Mm, yes. Yes. It's telling them. <laughs> It's telling I, them that the incantations. Maybe prophets are on the mind, but I was thinking like, ah, oh, they're getting some sort of message from the beyond. Uh, <laughs> but there, I, I mean, think that, you know. There could be an AI deity in my house. We do have the little echo dots. I mean, oh. who knows? <laughs> yeah, there you go. It'd be bad. You, you said incantation and it made me remember someone posted on Facebook to ask the question, what's the most like useless bit of information that you remember? And someone, someone replied with, I, I still remember the, uh, the incantation of making from Excalibur. And, <laughs> okay. and that's like, that's like my go-to thing that I, I pull out all the time when I'm playing D and D or something like that. And the dice aren't working right. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta pull the curse off this. You know, I'll, I'll just like, like throw out Merlin's little chant there. And uh, so I was like, I felt seen. I'm, I'm team Klaatu Barata Nikto personally, but that's, you know, that's actually two references at once. So yeah, yeah you get the whole deal there. All the day the earth stood still and um, the, uh, Evil Dead. So there yeah. you go. The whole deal. <sighs> Are you feeling like Sorry, picks everybody. of the week now? Yeah, I, I am so. feeling picks. I think we're time. I think we're we're at that. We're point. good time for it. All warmed up. Picks of the week. All right. So Emma, um, it's not very complicated, and you're a deeply intelligent person. So I have every confidence that you'd be able to do it, even without modeling. But I'll start. Um, and so my pick of the week is another book. Uh, I'm doing that thing that I do sometimes where I'll be reading different things in different formats. I have, uh, I have something I'm reading on ebook right now. I have, uh, something I've been reading on audiobook, and this is my physical book read right now. It is because internet understanding the new rules of language by Gretchen McCullough. Uh, and the listeners who listened to our last episode can guess I'm on a little bit of a nonfiction streak right now. And because Internet is written by a linguist who has written a book about how the Internet and the various uh, social forms of communication that are kind of adjacent to it, like text messaging and things like that, have reshaped our understanding of language and how we use language. Like, what is the grammar of a meme? Like when someone. keeps, Yeah. Well, like when someone key smashes, um, you know, why is it? 
all the keys tend to be home row keys under certain circumstances, but tend to be shift row keys uh, under other circumstances. Um, Why is it, for instance, that LOL has had the evolution that it's had of laughing out loud uh, as its initial meeting and now kind of morphing into other things um, and so on? Yeah. And so it's... um, it's a really fascinating book. It's extremely accessible. Um, it's, it's really interesting to see McCullough talk about her processes for deciding what questions she wanted to investigate and what resources she went to to do that. Um, so it's been a really gratifying, fun read. And I've even actually gotten uh, my son, Corwin, uh, to read a few chapters of it here and there. And so it is it is 16-year-old kid approved and also fusty English teacher approved. There's something <laughs> here for all you nards. <laughs> I like that you said nards. Yeah, I really meant to say nerds, and I was sort of hoping you'd let that go, but you're, you're, you're never going to. So now oh, it's I just, was never going no, to. No, it's nards now. Yeah, so we're going we're going full genital reference, I guess, uh, in this episode. It's a good thing that Chuck Wendig made us an explicit podcast years and years ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emma, you can't possibly do worse than nards, so you're in the clear. Oh, uh, I mean, I heard it that like. Oh, that was really 90s. <laughs> yeah, was that an uh, Animaniacs reference? What is she doing? No. Uh, okay, actually, so there's a couple things I think I reference every single time I talk to people about this book, one of which is I've already mentioned in this podcast, uh, the Friends at the Table, which is one of those real play podcasts where they like play one a tabletop RPG Um uh, on record and uh, they have some mech seasons one of which I was listening to while I was going through my 2017 like illness period and it was definitely one of the things that was on my mind when I started writing this book it's great I hugely recommend it but uh, the thing that one of the books that I've been reading is I also tend to have at least like four going at any given time but uh, one of them is by one of my favorite authors, uh, Dead Country, by Max Gladstone, oh, of yeah. recent Big List Nicholas fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. If you are at all familiar with uh, how um, this is how you lose the time war, the novella shot up to the New York Times bestseller. Yeah, list. like four years after the fact. God, I'm such a fan of both those authors. Like I was obsessed with their work before they collaborated. And, then and they actually I picked and... up Gretchen McCullough's <laughs> book because of an interview that Amal had done uh, mm. where she referenced it as sort of like this, the surreal experience of her book having gone viral several years after having come out and then hitting the lists again and all of that. Um and she she kind of put it in the larger frame of how the internet does weird things. And she name dropped the the McCullough book. And I'm like, I will read that. And so now we ended up here and we're back at your pick. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So like I love both Amala Elmotar and Max Gladstone independently. Uh, I love their work together. But Max Gladstone wrote The Craft Sequence, which is a uh, – series of books set in a world that is again kind of post post apocalyptic uh where the gods once ruled but certain humans figured out sort of the secret to having the kind of power that the gods do which initiated the god wars and now most of the gods are dead and the magicians the craft uh the craftsmen and women who um, killed them are now discovering that they have to run the world in their place and it's fantastic because the magic is defined in part by like rules of entropy and meaning but also by legalese <laughs> it's just so beautifully done and he's recently just started coming back to the series with this trilogy that's coming out and the first one just came out like a month or two ago and I've slowly been working through it because I'm reading all these different things, but it's such a joy because his language remains so gorgeously 
clear and poetic simultaneously. And I'm just so pleased to be back in this world that was kind of like my reintroduction to sci-fi fantasy when I picked it up in 2012. Mm -hmm. It's a joy. I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I love Max very much. And as the, uh, as folks who listen to the podcast quite a bit can remember, we had him on oh, about a year and a half ago and I was absolutely useless during the course of the whole winter. <laughs> I just sort of just kept saying fangirly things and, and Patrick really kind of had to be the adult for both of us. <laughs> that is a role that I am not comfortable being in. It was, I mean, I was really appreciated you snowboying <laughs> up though. It was good. It was important. <laughs> As Tracy knows, I am not, I am not the adult in the room. So <laughs> at least I try not to be, right. unless I'm forced to through circumstance. So I think it's your turn, Patrick. Yes. So I mentioned in our last episode, I'm, I'm on a bit of a, a, a journey in learning about uh, barbecue. I bought a pellet grill, a Traeger, and I want to learn about uh, how to use smoke to cook things and indirect heat and all that good stuff. Stuff that, that my family on my mother's side uh, is, is very religious about, <laughs> you know, when they talk about barbecue and I've mentioned this before, they're, they're, they're really only talking about food from one place in Paducah, Kentucky. It's called Harnids. That is the only place they're talking about when they say barbecue, everything else is just meat, right? That's been cooked, but uh, barbecue comes from Harnids where they slow smoke it. Uh, and it's usually pork. Uh, anything else is not particularly considered barbecue. Anyway, I'm, I'm on this journey. I'm learning about the Traeger. I'm learning about how to do stuff. So I bought a few books. I mentioned one last time. Uh, what did I mention? The Smoke Project. So this yes. time uh, I'm picking uh, Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue. Mm. And this is, you know, he is a, <laughs> he's a, a legendary pit master, uh, which is funny because I, I had sent to a friend of mine who's a, who's a chef. I said, hey, I bought a pellet grill uh, what do I need to do to become a pit master? And he said, you have to defeat the seven Lords of pit smoking in hand to hand combat. I mean, that so. sounds legit. Cause honestly, anytime people talk about someone being a pit master in the world of, of cookery, I do get very dungeons and dragons adjacent visuals. So, <laughs> so uh, Rodney Scott is a James Beard award-winning chef and this is the, the actually the, it's 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 um, it's marketed as the very first cookbook by a black pitmaster, which is kind of mm -hmm. cool. Uh, it's won a ton of awards, and uh, it, it, it's it's kind of he he talks about the the just how he, like his whole approach to barbecue. And he tells lots of little anecdotal stories while also educating you, the reader, on how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, this is a guy who's famous for basically smoking an entire hog. Like he doesn't just do bits and pieces in the shoulder and the butt and this. Like he does the whole hog. Emma and, is from Hawaii, so I don't know that this impresses her particularly. But I continue. know, right? But they do it. They do it a little bit <laughs> differently. Like, they. I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh. I guess like, that's yeah. adorable. People don't do the whole. But, but, but here's the thing. They're thinking like, oh, I guess that's not the assumption in a lot of places. No, no but it's a different. It's a different style because uh -huh. because in Hawaii they they dig out a pit and they put the the hog in the pit mm -hmm. and they cut like with and they have the coals and stuff and then they cover mm -hmm. it with the the mm -hmm. uh, the leaves mm -hmm. and they do that a little differently than you know putting in a in a in a smoker. Mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. having it that way. So it is a, it is a different style, but it, it's still, you know, ridiculously juicy and delicious. Oh, um, but this book is cool. Uh, it, there's tons of stuff going on in it. Uh, tons of recipes, like I said, tons of anecdotes and uh, just kind of walking you through his, his philosophy and how, and how he does things. And uh, also uh, both books, the one I mentioned last week and this one talk about uh, like the tools you'll need, the way that they do stuff, the like, uh, he he's got recipes for things like washes, which is something to keep mm -hmm. meat moist. 
it's not okay. necessarily a sauce. It's something like a, a base than that. sort of. Yeah, yeah. That, that you use and, 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 you know, just lots of tips and tricks. And so, like I said, I'm on this journey. It's something that's going to be happening over the summer as I learn how to use this thing and, and hopefully be able to cook something that uh, isn't disgusting and that I want to throw away. Awesome. Mm, that sounds like an incredibly rewarding quest. <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, even the stuff that you're a little let down by, you've still done a food. And, exactly. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what a what a journey this has been here. So I hope everybody's interested in finding the Archive on Dying when it comes out in June. I hope uh, that you keep an eye out for Emma and their work. Emma, where can people find you, find all of your cool stuff? We didn't even get to talk about like Seven Seas and some of the other work that you do. So let's let's give them the the final quest. How what is the fetch quest for finding Emma? <laughs> Um, so I actually left Seven Seas about half a year ago, but never um, mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like if you are interested in the work I do, I did the adaptation for a number of the Dot Meta hit the bestsellers list mm-hmm. <laughs> when they came out. Um, like I was in charge of the Scum Villain self-saving system. I started both um white husk uh the Husky and his White Cat season, or Husky and White Cat. I forget what they uh, ended up with as the title, but also Remnants of Filth. Those were uh, all under my hand and guidance. Um, I'm particularly proud of the way I helped the jokes work in Scum Villain. <laughs> but um, online, you can technically find me on Twitter at Emma Candon. E-M-M-A-C-A-N-D-O-N. Uh, though I'm trying to transition to be more on Instagram at mm-hmm. E-M-Candon. And I'm also intermittently on Tumblr, also at E-M-Candon. Um, I'm largely not on social media, but I will be there to either shitpost about archive, especially as it starts <laughs> to come out. If you want uh, links to stuff, I just sent some, there's a fun article coming out on tour.com soonish that I just wrote for, uh, for archive. And uh, it delighted everybody. I sent it to, even though I had just been kind of like, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to tell jokes the whole time. <laughs> People like the jokes. Uh, so, yeah, that seems to be going over well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, keep an eye out. I'll drop anything about that. And mostly I'm trying to hide from the internet. One, because book attention is often very yeah. scary. And two, I have a lot of video game to play. <laughs> <laughs> These are both perfectly reasonable. We can get uh, behind that logic. Tears of the Kingdom, man. I know, like, some of you listeners are also deeply embedded in it, possibly listening to it while you play. <laughs> One of my work colleagues may or may not have uh, taken personal time off of work in order oh, to yeah. So play many of my friends did exactly yeah. the same thing, especially mm-hmm. like in tech offices. One of my friends was like, I have to be here for quarterly reviews, but half of the office is gone. <laughs> Just to play tears. Yeah. <laughs> All when right. The, well, it's... when when I first got an iPhone and I had a and a Mac and and this is back in the day when <clears throat> things were a little bit easier, but iTunes on Mac you could take any song in your library and you could make it a ringtone for your mm-hmm. iPhone. So one of the first ringtones I had for my iPhone at the time was the theme song from The Legend of Zelda. <gasps> mm-hmm. <laughs> Adorable. The music in this game is stellar. Sometimes I just stop and listen to it. Like, yeah. The I guess what you would, while being as spoiler light as possible, the areas that I suppose you could call the dungeons. Oh, I've I've been in two of them thus far. The music is just stunning. Yeah. I don't think that video game music gets enough credit. It's it's I love it's really good stuff. Like yeah. I listen to the soundtrack for Near Automata so much while uh, writing Archive. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good yeah. one. Yeah, it's been awesome having you on, Emma. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are again a delight. <laughs> All good things. Here we are, at the end again. 
but there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast, and it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Other than that, huh, what do we think about Mando season three? Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.